Hi, and welcome to Birth Trauma Training for Birth Workers, the podcast with me, your host, Dr. Erin Bow, clinical psychologist and coach. I'm here to remind you that trauma is your biggest teacher and the place where you will find strength, personal and professional power. If you haven't already, please hit subscribe. And if you've listened before and you like the show, please leave me a review. It helps the podcast to bump up in the ratings and therefore more people can find it and they get that dose of support and training and inspiration. Are you willing to stop assuming that you know anything about anyone else's experience until you have given them the space to tell you? In today's episode... I talk with Jenna Brown from Love Over Fear Wellness. Jenna is a change maker, a space holder, an eloquent, warm, vibrant presence that I am so glad exists in the world. In today's episode, Jenna talks about how full spectrum doula work is really needed to be said in the same breath as trauma-informed care. And trauma really is death by a thousand cuts. It's not in one event. And for many people, it's interwoven with daily traumas. So some of the things we talk about in today's episode are what it's like being trans non-binary in the birth world, why pregnancy and birth is not a celebration for everyone, and how do we support people through pregnancy, birth, identity, death, and other forms of rebirth, death, and loss. The physical body as a harbinger of trauma and what it feels like walking around in a suit of your own trauma, experiencing many, many spikes of cortisol and adrenaline every single day. And then why the rhetoric of trust your instincts and trust your body in birth doesn't work for some people. About not making assumptions about people and truly leaning into what do we mean by individual-led care. Why not everyone who is pregnant is a woman? And how triggers are invitations for healing. We also have some really good conversation about creating a safety plan for your self-care so that you don't get stuck in inaction. And how many of us have been in that situation where you get so distressed you actually can't think of what to do to calm yourself down and you get stuck. So that's some good tips that we will share. And how really love and a desire for compassion and enriching our lives with diversity is the killer for fear. Hey Jenna, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Erin? Oh, croaky, croaky in the voice, but so, so, so excited to chat. So excited. <sighs> Shall we start? I um, I'll obviously have done your bio a bit separately, but I wonder if maybe, do you want to start by telling people actually what a full spectrum doula is? Because we were chatting about that before I started recording and then it occurred to me that actually maybe people might not know what that is. Sure. So officially, a full-spectrum doula is someone who brings the doula model of care to the full spectrum of pregnancy outcomes. Um, I really like to expand even beyond that because to me, working as a full-spectrum doula also includes working with folks who are not pregnant at all. Um, so folks who are adopting, um, folks who may be using a surrogate. And most recently also, I've been really working and exploring 
and brainstorming how I could go even further um, and expand the doula model of care to those who are experiencing other transitions, especially around their identities and particularly around their queer identities. So thinking about how for me, full spectrum doula work could also be supporting someone who's going through a social or a medical transition as part of their gender transition. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's many, many things that could be involved. Um, and one of the things that I really love about full spectrum work is that it reminds us that doula work at its core, at least in my experience, is the experience of walking with someone through a transition, whether that's birth, postpartum, or anything else. Mm, I love that. I love that idea so much because I think it's, it's a really nice way of thinking about like birth, death, rebirth can mean like physical however you want to interpret that but it can also mean like emotional spiritual just all the different layers of what well, yeah, I guess it's just coming back to that idea of support isn't it support and connection that we need so 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 much more than ever really yeah yeah absolutely I agree oh so good um okay so Something I guess we might want to start talking about is this idea of interlocking trauma, I think is the term that we used just before we started recording. And with the families, the individuals, the people that you work with, for people who might have like, I suppose, like a vague peripheral idea of what, what that means, can you give us some, um, let's just go back to basics. Can you give us like some examples of some of the things that you have witnessed, encountered, heard about, experienced, just to sort of bring us into that space of, yeah, the interlocking trauma space? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that's starting kind of like from a basic point that hopefully everyone could understand or relate to is super useful. So thanks for encouraging me in that direction. Um, because I'm sure you know, I could jump pretty much anywhere. So even just considering um, as a full spectrum doula, that the work I do is needs to be inherently trauma informed. And I truly hope that that's something that all doulas consider. Um, but it certainly feels important when we do start to look at these intersecting traumas. Mm. So when I get, say, just a client who's reaching out to me for prenatal and birth support, which like a lot of doulas, that's going to be the majority of the work that I do. The majority of the work that I do is in pregnancy and birth. And then um, people reach out to me for other things that, for me, uh, help to keep my work expansive and exciting. And also just feels really great to know that um, people feel like they can reach out with these other experiences. So what that could look like is someone, someone reaching out to me looking for a birth doula and something as simple as, based on the experiences that I've had in this work, I'm not going to lead my response, whether it's over the phone or an email or anything else, with congratulations. Mm -hmm. um, because not everyone feels like their pregnancy is something to celebrate. Yeah. Um, and I don't know yet if I haven't interacted with that person what their history might be in terms of have they accessed abortion before? Have they experienced miscarriage or stillbirth? And what sort of feelings might be coming up based on past traumas now that they're pregnant and seeking help through this pregnancy? 
Um, and so that's square one. And, and kind of even just one step beyond that, um, and still just kind of talking generally about any population of people that might reach out to work with me. Um, in some cases, I've, I've supported someone through an abortion. Um, and then later on, a year, two years down the line, they have a pregnancy that they want to carry through full term. Um, and so being able to serve them through both, or maybe they've had a miscarriage and I've served them through that loss, and then they come back. And I think that there's just this really beautiful way that you can start to, I've started to feel like my compassion is expanded because having those experiences with folks who are not maybe the person that wants to be greeted with congratulations when they announce their pregnancy or who carry complex histories and complex traumas with them into the space, um, it makes me a lot more understanding of situations that I may not otherwise be. And I'm sure that I'll return to that idea, but that feels like a good place to start to me. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad that you exist and people like you exist doing this work because we forget how isolating the experience of being pregnant and maybe not having positive feelings about that can be because we're so conditioned to... And look, overwhelmingly, like, yeah, it might be a positive thing for people, but sometimes it's not. And so you've got the anxiety of that plus the not knowing what you're going to meet on the other end of support if you reach out and open up that dialogue. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, one thing that comes up for me a lot when I have these kind of aha moments of, wow, Jenna, you used to think this way and, and maybe that was problematic and maybe you need to expand a little bit, um, are in these moments of, say, working with someone who has had multiple miscarriages, who at every single prenatal appointment with their provider wants an ultrasound. Um, and where my role as a doula might be to educate them on, um, on ultrasounds in general, and, and oftentimes those conversations might look like and did look like in the past, talking about how you probably don't need as many ultrasounds as they already routinely give and, and perhaps consider this information and all of these things that can come up and kind of putting myself in a position of wait, pause, whether I know in that moment or I don't know what that person is carrying with them, it's always important for me to kind of stop before I try to talk down one route with someone, talk them out of something that feels important to them, talk them into something that doesn't, um, and consider where they're coming from. Yeah, so, so important, isn't it? I think um, something else that's just coming to mind is that idea of, I suppose, even just the physical body and how the physical body is handled in the mm -hmm. sense of, previous trauma and like not knowing I suppose something that's come up for me a lot with clients I've worked with particularly when you're talking abuse of any kind mm -hmm. is the assumption sometimes that medical healthcare or other professionals have is that the client the patient whatever like phrase you want to use the person that you're working with will tell you like the onus right. is on them to tell you all their stuff which is yeah. 
so wrong. Can you talk us through some of the things that you've witnessed, experienced, heard about, um, I suppose in that realm, in that realm of people not even stopping to think, how has this physical body been treated in the past? Yeah, uh, it's, this is where I, I tend to get uh, serious and I, and I look for little like pockets of joy to find um, because it feels like, how could I not list a million examples of that? That feels like the status quo, right? Um, and so I do look for these these moments and these providers and and these people, these recipients of care who are able to speak up for themselves. But you know that's not the norm. Um, spontaneous kind of uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, disclosure, spontaneous disclosure of of past trauma. Even you know, in working with the queer population, spontaneous disclosure of one's identity um, is not a given. Like that's happening in a space that is established as safe. And uh, the issue is that, and now you know, I'm thinking specifically about continued education for providers of any kind, um, and not even just in the health sphere. Right? Think about social workers. Think about anyone else that a person may need to interact with in order to access the resources that resources that I need, I think about continued education for those people and kind of the resistance to it. Um, the resistance to learning something that not only is it complex, but it, it requires uh, individualized approach. Um, and an individualized approach takes more time, takes more effort, takes more money. Um, and so I just see kind of an unwillingness to engage with that, whether it's continued education in just like trauma competency, being a trauma competent provider, um, or queer competency. I see people who are saying, I see professionals who have been in their fields for a long time going, oh, well, I don't need to know this because if I was seeing people in my work who were carrying past traumas or who are queer or whatever the topic is, I would know, I would know, and I'm not seeing them, so I don't need to know this. And the fact of the matter is they're not seeing them because they're not creating that safe space for people to disclose anything about themselves. Um, and so it's really easy to get frustrated by that. I think it's so good that you mentioned that because it is, it's a thing sometimes that our ego does is that like oh well i'll sort of wait until it presents itself the situation the person whatever it might be instead of taking the approach of well actually you're not an expert in somebody else's life and right. i think even just that basic communication of however it might even just be like a phrase it might be a sentence it might be i don't know there's no i suppose what i'm thinking of so many different strands in my head as we're talking I think sometimes people ask like, well, what do you say? Well, what do you ask? And I think, tell me what you think, but I don't think there is like a token perfect thing you can ask that will amazingly make people like <laughs> lose all of their shackles and trust you and tell you what you need to know. But I think even just the, the phrasing of things, and I, I wonder how much sometimes it can help even if you just are saying, is it okay if I talk about this? Is it okay if I ask about this? How would you yeah. like me to phrase this? How would you like me to ask you about this? Is there anything that's jumping to mind for you that's, I don't know, potentially useful, I guess, that you've 
found in your work or in your own experience that again is not the like I'm not looking for like the give us the perfect sentence yeah yeah of course some of the language that I think um, we could probably maybe start to tease out a little bit for people who might be sitting here going, okay, well, that's all very well you saying I need to be aware of people's traumas, but how do I actually ask about it? Or if I do have clients who are identifying as something non-binary, how do I ask them about that? What's the terms I use? What's yeah. your hot tips? <laughs> yeah. So I think probably it's important that we kind of, we, we pull these, these things apart because the intersection is so important and it's so there. Um, and I'd love to talk about how that intersection comes up again, but just to kind of, to pull apart like trauma versus queerness. And there, there, here is another intersect, right? Where if we're thinking about, all right, I'm going to assume that I don't know about the people I'm working with. Great. That's step one. That's like, that's the go-to. Um, both things could be true. Like you could use that, that non-assumption approach for both uh, approaching trauma history with patients, with clients. You could do that for approaching their identity um, and anything that might have to do with uh, queerness. So I think that I'll talk about trauma first and then kind of weave a background. All people have trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Um, And one of the ideas, the concepts that works best for me when I'm chatting with people about this who, uh, you know, here in America, I don't know if if this is a thing everywhere, you start to talk about trauma and there's hard-headed conservative folks who are going to be like, oh, you're all just special snowflakes, right? (laughs) Um, One thing that I like to come back with and try to continue dialogue with is all people have trauma and just this idea of, is it a big T trauma or a little T trauma? Um, and so being aware of that as any professional who's interacting with people on a one-on-one basis feels really key. They're, they're traumatized by something. Um, just assume that. And as someone's provider or as someone's doula more specifically, it, it's not that you caused that trauma. Um, but it is true that you can exacerbate it. Mm. It's true that you can cause harm if you start to make assumptions or really if you start to provide anything less than person-centered, individual-led care, right? And I think that last bit, the individual-led is one of those like intersecting keys of our conversation is like, let the person define. So it's not that you're going to ask a specific pointed question. Maybe you are, right? If you do, it's probably not going to be super pointed. It's probably going to be vague. Mm. Like, tell me about yourself. Or if it's on an intake form, trauma history, and then a big blank space and see what <laughs> well, one right. You know? Um, but you need to let them lead. You need to let the person, in my opinion, disclose to you Um, and they're going to use different methods to do that. Um, and it, it might not always be transparent. It might be obtuse. And so I think that's the beautiful thing about doula work versus a profession that's more clinical and and more, has more rigorous standards is that we can lean into our kind of attunement with our clients to pick up on some of the subtlety of what they're feeling, what they're experiencing, mm. uh, but always with them leading the way. Yeah, I think that's so good because um, I know for probably a lot of people who are working in some sort of a system, 
as well as, well, they might say as well as establishing a connection and establishing safety in the back of their mind. I'm sure it's that, but I've got to get the information to put on the form. I've got to get the information to put on the form. And so the goal then changes or it splits and it shifts back and forth. And I think you're so right that doulas are perfectly positioned to have a lot of these conversations because there's no agenda, I guess, around, well, I have to fill in a form or I have to meet these standards. And I think in sometimes in trying to meet the goal that you think you need to meet, the connection gets lost. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you can very easily, like, rupture that trust, right? Um, and well, I think especially... I, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just thinking, even um, just even as we were talking about this, I think even um, by not explaining why you're asking the questions that you're asking, yeah, so make or break even just in that. And it doesn't mean like that you're expecting people to tell you anything, but I think for a lot of people, just seeing something like, well, have you been sexually abused on a form? Right. Oh, so, so super confronting because a huge part of that is why do you want to know this? Like, what are you right. going to do with this information? Why are you collecting information without telling people why you're collecting it? Yeah. yeah. That's I had. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's the other lovely thing about approaching people as their doula is I'm, I'm able to say, look, like I'm just here to help you. And the more you want to share, the more I might be able to help. Um, everything you share with me is confidential, right? Like I'm your buddy. I'm your best friend. I'm not, I'm not here to use any of this against you, but if I can understand where you're coming from, then we'll have a lot easier time meeting one another somewhere in the middle. Um, and I do think it is tempting. And I, I've had moments where I'm like, ah, like if I just, I know there's something going on here. And if only this person felt comfortable sharing, but I think that it's, when we're in those moments that we're really looking for information, um, that we do, we do have these moments where we rupture trust and, and there's misunderstanding. Um, specifically, like in, in a birth space, right? Like I think about the fact that trauma is a sensory experience, not a cognitive experience. And birth is a sensory experience, not a cognitive experience. And so for someone who may be disconnected from their body, as a result of trauma, just asking them to tap back into that without creating a safe container first can be re-traumatizing. Mm. Um, and so saying to someone who is disconnected from their body um, to follow their intuition and their body will tell them what to do, is it's laughable. Mm. It's a laughable thing to say. Yeah. Yeah, you're so right because like, um Part of the anxiety and the fear, I mean, for birth, even if you don't think you've got any trauma, and I 100% agree with you, everybody's got some, if you don't think you have it, that trusting something that you actually don't trust is, yeah. and that carries through like from pre-pregnancy to postpartum, you know, when people say, oh, trust, you know, trust your senses, you know, what to do with your baby. And for some people, like, you know, have those moments we all have those moments we're like I've got no idea I've got no idea what my intuition's saying I've got no idea what my body's saying because I'm so distressed and disconnected and dissociated and whatever it might be that that's actually like yeah not not wonderful advice right mm. exactly and so I think that one of the kind of intersecting points here 
in my mind is the body, right? Um, when we start to kind of look to weave these topics together, we're talking about birth, we're talking about doula work, we're talking about trauma and starting to bring in this idea of queer identity and specifically trans identity and for identities that fall under the trans umbrella, the body holds trauma, right? We know this. Um, and the body can be, it, it isn't always, but it can be a really integral component of trans identity and experience mm -hmm. um, and be a really, uh, I don't know, like a harbinger of that trauma, like just living, walking around in a suit of your own trauma is what it can feel like at times. In my lived experience and in the experience of those who I know and who have shared their stories with me, it can truly feel like that. So then knowing that there are people walking around with those experiences in their body and building families and being pregnant and accessing abortion and giving birth and all of these things, the complexities just start to build up really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, and it feels like it, it, it's all, it can all come back to the body and all come back to that sensory experience. Mm. I want to ask, I, I want to do this in a way that's sensitive, but I, I wonder if there are people who might just ask that blunt question. And so maybe I'll ask that blunt question. Why would it be traumatic? What are some of the, it's again, I know it's such an obvious question, but I'm wondering if maybe it's not obvious for some people who've never thought about this kind of stuff before. Can you give us some words, phrases, experiences to help cement that for people who are maybe sort of going, I don't really, I don't really get it. I don't really get the connection between trans and trauma. Totally. Um, one of the things that I do is I teach what I call queer compassionate practices to all kinds of um, professionals who, you know, either directly or kind of are in the periphery of folks who are building families. So everything from lactation consultants to doulas to photographers. Um, and I think that typically these spaces, these rooms of people that I'm talking to are cisgendered women. Um, and so one of the ways that I help them to understand just exactly what you're asking is, um, you know, as, as they've all been given an opportunity to identify themselves and share their pronouns and tell me about why they're there. Um, and I've had the opportunity to, you know, to hear, hear that and know who I'm talking to. Say I know I'm talking to a room of cisgender women. I'll say, you know, everyone in this room today that I'm presenting to relates to the word woman, like would use the word woman to describe themselves, right? an opportunity to answer that. I bet that for every single person who just said yes to that, you would define femininity differently, mm -hmm. right? Being feminine means something different to each of you. And so that's kind of my like invitation in. That's my opening the door into this space because you're right. A lot of people haven't considered this because they haven't had to. Um, that's part of cisgender privilege, right? Is like, you don't have to think about gender unless, right, you do because then we have conversations in feminism about the wage gap, mm. right? We have conversations all the time about things that are related to gender, but we're thinking about it for most people 
in this very binary way in like, okay, well, I have these genitals and so I'm a woman or I'm a man. And so the complexity doesn't come up for most people and that's great. And I, I, I think that's an excellent thing. Um, but it can make it difficult to understand how transness, how queerness might relate to family building or to pregnancy. And so in trying to teach people how to be compassionate with those that they're interacting who may have trans identities, I also want to be compassionate towards, towards them and say, it, it's okay that you've never thought about this. That's a lovely and a beautiful thing. And now I'm going to invite you to think about it. And it's probably going to be uncomfortable because now I've just brought, I've dropped a, a bomb in this room of like, holy crap, what does femininity mean to me? Right. Um, does that feel like it works to open the door here too? Yeah. I wonder if we should even go back and just, um, I say we, I mean you. <laughs> Can you define what cisgendered means for people who might be right at the start of this conversation going, I'm lost already? Yes, absolutely. So cisgendered, cis, that um, prefix just means same. Um, so someone who is cisgendered identifies with the sex that they were assigned at birth. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. All right. So next next layer next level you want to go into where does it feel good to go to next um i guess just right continuing to like peel back those layers there around um trans identities and queerness and and trauma right and this kind of general idea it's not real it's an i mean it's a fact we know this we know that marginalized people are more likely to experience traumas throughout their lifetime, throughout their lifespan. And so that has an impact on health. Uh, when you have, in the case of someone who is trans, whether they're, um, and probably there's some more kind of helpful vocabulary understanding we could do here, but I'll, I'll continue my thought and then we can return to it if we need to. Whether they're male to female, whether they're female to male, whether they're non-binary or gender non-conforming, there's a really good possibility that there are people in that person's life, um, there are certainly people in my life who, whether intentionally or not, are causing them, uh, are re-traumatizing them all the time, right? Um, not, and it's, I, I hesitate with myself for saying causing, right? Because trauma is never at the fault of anyone. But these people are being re-traumatized in interactions that they're having. I'm being re-traumatized in interactions that I have all the time. Um, and the fact is that we know th in America, three out of five people would intentionally misgender a trans person to show disrespect. Oh, wow. um, for those of us like myself who... Um, use gender neutral pronouns. I use they, them, and theirs as my pronouns. Only one in five Americans are willing to use the singular they to talk about a person. Mm. Um, and so pronouns are just one example, right? There's all kinds of way that, ways that people could be misgendered or microaggressed against. But if you think of every single little microaggression as um, a surge of stress hormones, mm. right? pulsing through the body. I, my own mother calls me she, and I have a, a surge of cortisol and adrenaline. 
that pumps through my veins. And maybe you're facing blatant bigotry and then it's even more amplified, right? That has a toll on your health. And it also has a toll on your brain state, like how you're walking around in the world. So how can we expect someone living with that experience over and over and over again to make decisions informed by intuition, right? Again, we think about like being connected to the body. The body may or may not be a part of their identity, their trauma. Um, but just in this, this brain state kind of consideration, like how can we make decisions informed by intuition or advocate for ourselves if we aren't in a calm brain state, brain state? Like if we're not in that prefrontal cortex, right? We might, for many queer people, that calm brain state's a difficult place to get to. Mm -hmm. um, they or we might always be alert, alarmed, fearful, or even terrorized. And so then how does that impact the way that you're navigating anything in your life, let alone something as big as, oh my gosh, perinatal care, obstetricians, like it's, it's massive. Um, and then, you know, we hinted at this earlier in our conversation, but a lot of folks that I work with who um, specifically are gender non-conforming or non-binary and fall under that part of the trans umbrella, they're not out to their care provider. Mm -hmm. um, and so every single time they're going in for an appointment, um, there's assumptions being made. There's words being made. They're getting called mama, um, not only in the care system, but also in their own lives, walking around on the street as a pregnant person, people making assumptions about what your pregnancy means, um, that you are a woman. Uh, and so part of two, like, thinking, linking back again to full spectrum dual work and the intersecting traumas with queerness there, not everyone who's pregnant is a woman. Not everyone who's accessing abortion is a woman. Not everyone who's experienced miscarriage is a woman or who's trying to conceive. So like the list goes on and on. Um, yeah, I'll pause there in case, in case anyone might have questions that you think you want to ask on their behalf. I think the one I will ask on other people's behalf because it's something I've come up across a lot <laughs> is people yeah. asking that question, why? Why is a pregnant person not a woman? And mm -hmm. I, I don't say that to be um, inflammatory or make your cortisol go up or anything. Yeah. But I guess in part of the educating and bringing back in like, yeah, understanding of joy and diversity and I guess the humanity the humanity is what I want to come back to yeah why yeah. what's that I mean there's no perfect answer to that but what what's the what might you say to that yeah um that's a question that I get asked all the time and it usually is inflammatory so thank you for <laughs> helping me self-regulate there um yeah. yeah I think that what I would what I would say to that, right, the, the invitation where I open the door and I'm like, okay, you and your best friend might have completely different concepts of what it means to be a woman to each of you or what femininity means to each of you. Um, it's just kind of like being willing to expand beyond that and say, hey, I've lived my life up until this point and I've had a series of experiences that have made me into the person that I am and I know what's true for me, Right. I, I hope that my hope for the world is that everyone gets to a point in their life where they're self-aware enough 
to feel that and to know that. Say, I know who I am. I know why I am. Um, and I think it's just a willingness to say, okay, if I know that about myself, then who am I to say that anyone else doesn't know that about themselves? So if someone tells me that they're pregnant and they're not a woman, great, excellent. It's so great that we, have, we live on a planet and in a culture and in a society and we're part of a species that is so diverse that someone could be something beyond male or female, that someone could be a pregnant man. Um, yeah, I think that it's just, it's just a willingness. It's hard to answer that question for people because usually when they're asking it, it is inflammatory and inflammatory and they're already letting me know that they're, they're unwilling. Um, but for those that are somewhere in between, right, who probably, I, I love that you asked that question on people's behalf, but there's probably the people who are, are still listening at this point are the people who wouldn't ask that question in a direct way, but might be thinking it, mm. like trying to make sense of it. And so I hope those are the folks who are willing to expand and, and see that as like a, a beautiful, wonderful thing. Mm. And I think um, my goal is always, I suppose, to bring things back to the, well, does it actually matter? Like if the end goal is to get to a place of, you know, why did you get into birth? I remember um, when I talked to Sheridan about this a few episodes ago, the idea of like, well, you didn't go and work in a bank. Like you didn't go and work in a lab <laughs> looking at cells. You, you got into birth work and healthcare and whatever, you know, broad spectrum kind of work for people to yeah. have beautiful, joyful interactions with people that would diversify your life and open up possibilities. And so I suppose if we bring it back to the idea of like, well, imagine how much this could enrich your life. Imagine the people that you could bring into your world and into your children's world that you otherwise wouldn't if you didn't even think about it. Mm-hmm. And what a privilege and what a joy that is. Yeah. If you choose to look at it that way. Yeah. If if you're willing, and I think that is the willingness, right? It's the willingness to like, can I curse? Am I allowed to curse on your podcast? Oh, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) I was pausing because I was actually just thinking, hang on, haven't I already? (laughs) Go for it. Um, Yeah, it's the willingness to unpack your shit. And be like, why do I care? Like, why do I care that this person um, identifies the way that they do? Why am I so unwilling to believe that and so unwilling to confront that? Um, and, and once you're willing to unpack that and be like, okay, like I see myself and, and you know what? I, I actually, I love this person for, be, for being who they are. Then it is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but it takes work for most of us to get there. And and that's not anyone's fault. Like it's not that anyone who has to, who feels any sort of resistance to gender expansiveness or transgender identities, there's nothing wrong with these people. Um, so if that's you listening and you're feeling resistance, there's nothing wrong with you. We are so culturally like ingrained to see the world one way. It is taught to us from such a young age, right? Before we're even born, our parents might have had a, a gender reveal party for us. Like they've already decided who we are. Um, 
and taught us to, to decide for everyone else too. Um, and so it's difficult. And I think that like anything that requires work, there's this reward of liberation, right? In kind of seeking to gain more understanding around this, you're like totally liberated in the way that you can define yourself now. Or that question of like, oh my gosh, what does feminine mean to me? You can start to answer that really clearly. And it's okay if your answer is different than the person sitting next to you. You feel totally confident in that. Um, there's a teaching tool that I use too, and I'll send it to you. I don't know if you have show notes you could include it in, but uh, it's the gender unicorn. Um, and the gender unicorn is another tool that I use where I see like light bulbs going off because it's this little picture of a unicorn and, and in the unicorn's head, it's showing that's the gender identity, right? Um, the unicorn's heart, uh, there's two hearts actually. There's one that's their physical attraction. So who, who are they physically attracted to? What gender, what sex, whatever, however they um, describe their sexual attraction. And then the emotional attraction. And I think that second heart of emotional attraction is where I see some, some of the women, especially that I teach to be like, oh my gosh. I'm physically attracted to men, but I'm emotionally attracted to women. This like makes so much sense. Like I've had so many folks come up to me afterwards and be like that, that blew my mind. But anyways, so the gender unicorn also like, you know, uh, down between the gender unicorn's legs, there's a little symbol that defines their sex assigned at birth um, and just kind of highlighting their whole body being their gender expression. So there are these tools that can help people understand trans identities, but I think the really, really cool and really joyful piece of that is they walk away understanding themselves a little differently too, which is awesome. That is, that's so cool because I think sometimes if you're, oh, it sounds really gross actually talking about it in this way, but if you're trying to sell somebody an idea of why they should do something, it is that ego driven, well, there's got to be something in it for you, right? Yeah. So I think maybe if it's as like blatant as that for some people that, okay, what's going to be in it for you? And how many of us would not admit that like, oh, okay, I wasn't really fully um, in this until you sort of showed me something that is something personally relevant for me. And I think that's, that's the humanity. Well, if we take it out of the like icky, yucky marketing kind of speak and bring it back to the, ah, uh, yes, we are actually just all humans, right? Definitely. Mm. So good. Um, is there other layers you want to unpack as we've been talking? Because I've kind of, yeah, I got lost track thinking about unicorns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think like, um, you know, there is the truth, truth in what you're saying in terms of like appealing to someone and like, and what can they take away for them? But I also believe that, that folks who are in helping professions and folks who are um, attracted to conversations about trauma and attracted to resources like your podcast, like there's, there's also um, a willingness to consider someone else's perspective and, and kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. There's more, there's morality driving the way that they think and the way they see the world. So I think it is important too, as part of our larger conversation about um, kind of birth spaces and specifically care providers. Um, to confront and to acknowledge the fact that a lot of queer individuals, and, and this now could be anyone who falls under the queer umbrella, but especially um, those with trans identities. But here we might be talking about 
um, cisgendered folks who are in same-sex partnerships. There could be lots of people who these things are true for. Um, there's previous trauma in healthcare systems. Mm -hmm. So when you're accessing care, the, like, the very act of going to your doctor's appointment can be so overwhelming that you choose not to go. Um, for transgender individuals, like more than 30% of um, trans Americans lack access to regular health care. And there's so many contributing factors there, um, including the fact that trans people are more likely to live under the poverty line, including like there's just so much to unpack there. Mm -hmm. But just like that as a baseline, um, there's so I'll, I'll read some other things to you that I think will appeal to folks in terms of like, okay, why does this matter? Um, so this is from, I'm pulling it up. This is from the National Transgender Discrimination Survey. Um, so some, some of the key findings that feel relevant to our conversation. Um, nearly one in five transgender people um, who are part of this survey, so that's 19%, reported being refused care outright wow. because they were transgender or gender nonconforming. Um, there was a 28% um, rate of folks postponing getting medical care due to the anticipated discrimination and disrespect. Um, and 28% of respondents were also subject to harassment in medical settings. Um, more than 50% of these people reported having to teach their medical providers about trans care. So they had to educate their providers. Um, so you just start to get like this picture of why when I say uh, there are folks who are accessing care whose providers don't know that they're trans, why that might be, you start to get a picture of why I get so frustrated when care providers say, oh, well, I don't need to know this because none of my patients are trans. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it, it's just, it's so interesting when you start to peel back the layers and just kind of acknowledge that the same kind of discrimination that's happening out there in everyday life, that it, some of the, the things I've already mentioned, um, that's happening in the place where you're supposed to be getting care, where people are supposed to take care of you. Um, and one of the things we know from trauma study is that systems use shame to control behavior, right? So if you're walking into your provider's office and immediately feeling shamed for who you are, how is that going to impact the care you receive, especially in a vulnerable position or a position that becomes vulnerable because of the way care providers treat it um, of pregnancy and childbearing? Mm. Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely more about a rainbow sticker, hey? Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. That's that, but it's yeah, that's it's scary stuff. It's really, really scary stuff. Yeah. And the flip flopping of the conversation, because these are things I hear echoed a lot too, like, oh we just don't get any inquiries from like it's almost like, well, there's the pause of the other, whatever the other might be, even just that sort of really, really, really subtle um I suppose cognitive mindset of like you know there's the regular clients and then there's other whatever right. other be 
yeah, I, there's just, oh, yeah. It yeah, could so be really like, icky, like, for you. Yeah, so yeah, so icky. Mm. I wonder when if, we, go ahead. Yeah, I was just thinking, I wonder if that's a good place then to um, start asking you about what, what you do to look after yourself. Like, the term that's, you know, I know it's so overused, the self-care term, but what, what's some of the stuff, what's some of the work that you've had to do in order to be this strong person, be this advocate, be still compassionate and be able to be, I guess, a container for other people's pain, knowing that you're up against, like, that cortisol could just be, like, as you're saying, just firing all the time. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. What's some of the stuff you do? Um, so I've been engaged in practice that can help with self-regulation um, for years. And I think I was, I had a strong foundation in that before publicly coming out as trans non-binary and that helped, um, you know, before my coming out, in that regard, like I, I'm someone who didn't really have to come out about sexuality. Like I'm fortunate to live in, um, live in a place and also come from a area of the world where just generally like being gay, being bi, being pansexual, all of these are, have been words at different points that I used to identify myself. Um, was like, yeah, like we accept that. That's fine. Um, So I think it was that really that second coming out in terms of my gender that I was so fortunate and so grateful that I had put in a lot of work to have self-regulation tools ahead of time. But that being said, like they, it's not like they all work all the time. Um, And I think that a really key part of taking care of myself is not being attached to the pathways to healing that I took before right? Where like, there was a stage of my life where something that was really, really important to me was being vocal about my own trauma history and specifically my own history with sexual assaults. And at that stage in my life, um, yoga was one of the, like, that was my thing. Like I wrote an article, it's on Elephant Journal, like six or seven years ago about how yoga helped me heal from my sexual assault. And like, you know, when you're a little kid and you like write a diary and then you find it a year later and you read it and you're like, I was so stupid when I was eight. Now I'm nine. Like that's kind of how it feels sometimes. It's like, okay, like that's not a tool that necessarily works for me or works for me in the same way anymore. And so also watching myself evolve in terms of not only taking care of myself, but modeling the fact that like, let's not proselytize about things that have worked for us. Like, let's, let's not be dogmatic and say that Reiki is the end-all, be-all and you should go get Reiki or, or you need to, I know we joke about the green smoothies in the bubble bath, but like you need to do the green smoothies in the bubble bath. I think it's really important to me as part of my self-care to give myself permission to, to be dynamic and to need different things in different moments. Um, I think that some of the, like, the big overarching themes for me as part of that self-care is like um, talk therapy has always been something that works for me. I know it doesn't work for everyone, but also like reconnecting to my body 
um, is key. And like I said, at one point that was yoga. Now it's more generally like breath movement, um, nutrition, sleep, all of these things help me to reconnect with my body, sex, masturbation. Um, all of these have been really key components for me of that kind of, uh, larger theme of connecting to my body. And that's huge for my self-regulation. And then more subtly, just the theme of like letting myself take up space, mm-hmm. um, which a lot of the times means not worrying about my needs hurting anyone else's feelings. Um, and that usually comes up in relationships, but it can come up pretty much anywhere, like taking up physical space, taking up emotional space, letting myself have the emotions I have, um, especially in those moments where there might be that like surge of, oh my gosh, like I feel my heart rate picking up because I think I'm in an unsafe space or someone I really respect and care about just disrespected me. Like, especially in those moments, like acknowledging that I feel that not like, okay, this is, it's, I can't feel that here. Acknowledge that I feel that, give myself permission to feel that and then tap back into the body. And, um, there's all kinds of ways that that I do that. But those are kind of the, the two big pieces um, is the somatic piece and the, like get the permission piece. I think that's really good stuff. Like it's, it's interesting when I ask people that question, because sometimes people are like, I, I can almost feel them like searching for like, Oh, what's the right answer? Or what's the like, you know, amazing, um, you know, I don't know, highbrow something I should be, doing and this is like the point I always hope to illustrate is it can be anything and sometimes it's just I think particularly when we're stressed like um you know recognition is so much easier than recall Mm -hmm. so hearing someone else say oh I do that as obvious as it might sound I think a lot of us can identify those moments where you're stressed and you just actually can't think of anything to do for yourself Um, yeah. yeah yeah Yeah. And I think that that's one thing that has been really helpful for myself and also for, um, those that I work with, um, is creating a, um, safety plan. And that safety plan is something that you can access anywhere. So typically I have people, I, mine isn't the notes in my phone and that's where I suggest clients put it. Um, so that they can be wherever they are and starting to feel the, and identify, right? Having the self-awareness, like you said, first to just like know that's what's happening. Once they identify that's what's happening, it's there. It's a list. They know where it is. They pick it up and it has whatever tools work for them, whether it's washing their hands or taking five deep breaths or taking a sip of cold water. Like they have those things they can do anywhere. I have those things I can do anywhere. And I use my safety plan probably like on average three times a day. Yeah, that's so good. It's funny how so much of this stuff is actually really intersectional because a lot of the time I don't hear people talk about safety plans outside of like acute mental health, which is really funny because it's, um, you know, again, it's that separatist thing of like, oh, this is something for like, you know, those people over there when actually like really like good proper self-care is actually for everybody. Mm -hmm. It's for everybody. It's not for, you know, oh, well, yeah, that's just me going off on another tangent in my head. <laughs> <laughs> the way that we think about like looking after ourselves as humans. Anyway. Yeah. 
But it, it's, it ties back to everything we've talked about, right? We're like the self-care needs to be individual led, yeah. right? Um, I, it's, it's hard. It's so hard to watch the people we love and the people we work with experience these big feelings, especially when they're overwhelming. Um, it's hard not to be like, we'll do this thing. This thing works. No, that thing works for me. Um, it might not work for you, but let's explore some things that might work for you. Let's keep trying them on until something sticks. Um, yeah. That's all any of us are doing, I think. Right? <laughs> and as you say, sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes you need to try something else. Sometimes you need to come back to it. It is, yeah, that's just all it is. Yeah. It's like throwing around ideas and going, right, this, this time, yeah. Oh. So good. Um, anything else that's come to mind as we've been talking that you want to, I don't know? Um, I, don't, I don't know. I think there's probably so much. I'm sure that we could keep talking forever. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure that, you know, there's like going to be a million moments later on today where I'm like, ah, I wish I had said, or, said this thing or we talked about this, but, but that's okay. And like, I think that that's the coolest thing about everything we've talked about is that it, it is always evolving and it's always changing. Um, and that we are my, like my thing that I say, put on my headstone is we are subjective beings having dynamic experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's just such a really awesome thing. I guess one, one question that, um, I get a lot that might make sense for us to kind of wrap up with is how can like Jenna, how can I be an ally? Um, or like, how can I take this information and, and do something useful with it? And I think that I really encourage anyone who's feeling that way or, or having those thoughts to start to redefine the word ally, the word allyship. Um, to reflect what I just said is true, at least for me, about being human. Like, let allyship be dynamic. Don't slap the rainbow sticker on and say you're done. Like, it can be frustrating when you feel like the words are changing or I'm always going to offend someone or whatever feelings might come up for you. I know how frustrating that can feel. Um, but it's important if you care to be an ally that you continue to be engaged in conversation and in learning and that you seek out the voices of as many people as possible because queer experiences are so diverse. Trans experiences are so diverse. Even the experience of trans pregnant people are so diverse in the same way that the experience of one woman's pregnancy is different from the other woman's pregnancy. So I think that just coming back to this space of subjectivity, of, of change and evolution and uh, of not making assumptions and like really letting people define what things mean to them and uh, how they're feeling in any moment. I think that's, that to me is the way someone can be the best ally. Thank you so much for that. I think, um, yeah, there's so, 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 so much to unpack. And look, there's no rules. I can always talk to you again. But I guess um, you've got a book out, don't you? We should talk about that. I do. I have a journal out. Um, so it's called Queer and Pregnant. And it's a pregnancy journal. Um, so think, 
I think there are so many lovely, like prompted journals and affirmation card decks and, and all of these sort of things that uh, folks can choose to buy and uh, use as a resource and really as a tool for self-regulation um, in pregnancy. But all of them make assumptions about someone's gender. Mm. A lot of them make assumptions about whether what kind of relationship someone might be in, whether it's assuming this, the gender of their partner or the fact that they just have one partner um, or that they have a partner. And so all of those things can be pieces of someone's queer identity. So I really just, I took tools that worked um, for the people that I, that I work with. And I also thought about what I would want if I was pregnant and I created a, a resource that reflects that, that didn't make those kinds of assumptions. So yeah, it's out and it's available on Amazon. And I hope that, you know, people who are looking for it can find it. Yeah, I think it's so good that it's available. Like, so necessary because, I mean, yeah, a lot of the pregnancy books that are out there, even for, I suppose, yeah, people who, I don't know, identify with the women in the pictures and the brochures and whatever, like a lot of those are just really like, yeah. (laughs) I don't have a word for that. It's more just a a feeling and a noise, which is just, yuck. Which is so funny because that's how I feel. Um, (laughs) Right. And so I think that's another example of like, our pregnancies can mean different things to us. Like we can just want different things, no matter what gender we are. Like, yeah, totally. Cool. Um, any other resources, things you want to plug, things that, um, I don't know, for people to go away and look at, listen to? I think that I would love for people to know that, um, I make myself available as a resource to anyone who feels drawn to work with me. Um, I can provide select services virtually. So no matter where you are in the world, if you're feeling called to connect, don't hesitate to reach out. Um, you can find my website, it's loveoverfearwellness.com and please follow me on Instagram or Facebook if you're on either, um, at loveoverfearwellness. In terms of resources, uh, for those that are listening that might be doulas or providers in any capacity, um, I will send you not only the gender unicorn, but I'll send you some other, uh, some of my favorite, uh, resources to recommend for folks who are hoping to learn more. Like I said, there's so many voices out there and I just really encourage people to seek out as many stories um, as they possibly can. But in terms of applicable resources, I'll try to give you a nice short list of those. Mm, Beautiful. So good. Because I think it's just, yeah, it's the snowball effect. I hope that something will inspire something. Oh, I'll go read that or go listen to that or go watch that. Even if it's just a small snippet because this is how it starts. You know, I think... The goal for me for a lot of this is to take things from a place of like, oh, I've never really thought about that before. Maybe I should think about the fact that I've never thought about it and then just see where the dandelion seeds go, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for inviting me on. It was so nice to chat with you. Thank you for making time and giving space to today's episode. If you want to give Jenna some love, go to loveoverfearwellness.com 
and all of Jenna's resources and notes you can find on my website, which is drerin.com.au forward slash podcast. All the show notes are in that section. If you want further information about working with me in terms of doing debriefs or mentoring or supervision or whatever it's called in your professional background, we can do that. All the info is there. Um, there's also a section to put in for updates if you are interested in finding out when my birth trauma training course is coming out. That's there. And if you found something useful out of today's episode and you think it is worth sharing the love, then please do consider doing that by leaving me a quick review. It just helps bump up the rating so that more people can find the information. This podcast is my hobby. I don't make any money from it. It's really just my excuse to talk to amazing people and indulge my need to have something other than small talk and conversation about, you know, like poop and Paw Patrol because this is what 99% of my life is as a mum at home with two young kids. So thank you so much for today. I hope you are enjoying your day. If you're feeling uncomfortable, check in with that. Discomfort is good, but don't let the hot air just sit there. Do something with it. Okay. Enjoy your day. Bye.